Father, this evening we come to you. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need you to hear your voice. We need strength to both believe and to obey. We need grace to stand firm in those places where you have placed each one. Without turning to the left or to the right. Without allowing your word to depart from our mouths. We need grace. Where sin abounds, your word says grace abounds. As we see sin abounding, we are looking for more and more and more grace. We see your day approaching, we gather more and more so that we can be encouraged by the common faith that we have. So even tonight, Father, strengthen us, encourage us, Speak to us, even as we lift you up, and your word up above everything else. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. If you've been there on Wednesdays, uh, we've been looking at, you see, a few weeks back we looked at Amalek. If you remember, if you were there, we looked at fighting Amalek. We saw as soon as Israel were in the wilderness, probably around three months after they came out of Egypt, and they were crying out for water, and they were desperate, God told Moses to strike the rock. And as soon as they had drunk from the rock, we saw Adrephidim, Amalek came to fight them. Okay, so we also know from scripture, we'll look into that, how we study scripture. And subsequently, Pastor Vijay has been brilliantly building on further on the enemies we face, the enemies we fight. Okay, So remember the messages we are looking at this year. We are trusting God. It's connected with the promise he gives at the beginning of the year. Remember he gave us the promise that for those who believe, he gives a spirit without measure, reverse of living water will flow. But the purpose of that blessing or that promise is the same as Jesus, which says in Acts 10, 38, that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed, oppressed by the devil. Why is this important? Because if you do not seek the purpose behind a blessing, the blessing if it's an end in itself, it can be self-destructive. Every blessing has a purpose. Okay, God does not give us something so that we can consume it and be content with it. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are empowered by God so that we go out and we bless people. Because if the river doesn't flow, if the spring that wells within us doesn't turn into a river and flow out from us, the very spring can stagnate and our lives will actually stink. Okay, That's why Christians' lives stink often worse than unbelievers. That's why God says either be hot or be cold, do not be lukewarm. So we also have been looking at the blocks 
to receiving the continuous inflow of the Holy Spirit. There are many of which Amalek happens like we've been studying. One of the chief ones, that is our flesh. Our flesh is one of the major blocks we have. Unless we continuously learn each day how to bring our flesh to subjection. Okay, subjection. We will also fail to receive the inflow continuously of the Holy Spirit. Like for an example, if you look at the church, sorry, your body as the temple of God, let us say as the church, your body as the church, or the temple of the living God, then in your church, in our temple, that is our body, there is a very mean member. The meanest member you can think of in your church, your body, is your tongue. Okay, that's the meanest member in your body. Sadly, often people live by that old accusing tongue, therefore they never overcome. We are never able to overcome in our flesh because our flesh ultimately is, the Bible talks about the flesh, the tongue being the rudder, okay, the main functionary, chief functionary of the flesh that will give direction in which we go. If we are not able to overcome because we allow that tongue, that mean tongue to have control and we end up living like Cain. About Cain it is written in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 12 it is written about Cain because he would never take. When you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond shall you be on earth. Meaning... Nothing actually comes out of our labor. We may say, I'm putting in so much effort, but the returns are very few. Very few. Because the very ground that Cain is working on is cursed. The very ground is cursed. And all his life, he is just a wanderer. A spiritual wanderer. The reason is, Cain will never own up. To what his problem is. He'll never own up to his own sin. Accept responsibility. He will never stop the blame game. And change. And all the prayers in the world. All the teaching in the world. Will just stop outside of Cain. Cain is a symbol of a person. Who will never take responsibility. For the actions of his flesh. Okay. So we have to fight Amalek. And we have to kill Agag the king of Amalekites, that is our flesh, bring our tongue under subjection, our fleshly tongue. But today I wanted to look at another portion connected with the study. Okay, Remember our studies of the old, if you were there from the beginning, most of you were in there, of possessing the promised land. We can always learn from the mistakes and the victories of the people in the Old Testament and of Israel, and we apply it spiritually. Look at two passages in the New Covenant which tells us why. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Scripture says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Okay, Romans is the first doctrinal text. It's talking about the Old Testament. And most people consciously avoid the Old Testament. But scripture says everything that was written was written for our learning. That we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. 
that scriptures old testament when we study the lives of these people the history of israel mistakes and victories we learn we have patience we learn how god works things out in his time we learn patience and we also have hope that if i follow this i too can have a hope that is built on god's word god's ways god's practices in first corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 same paul apostle paul god through him will say all these things happened to them about to israel as examples as examples now this is talking about the defeats and god's judgments upon them as were written for our instruction our admonition upon whom the end of ages has come so we learn from the old testament we use those spiritual truths of the old testament stories and we apply it functionally spiritually in our lives that's we are not learning history from the old testament we are not we are learning the new testament spiritual principles from the old testament stories and how we apply it so we know the children now we are looking from we are going to look tonight from the book of joshua the children of israel under joshua under his leadership has been conquering canaan canaan for us is not a place canaan for them was a place for canaan for us is not a place it is the fullness of christ in a believer's life the victory the maturity scripture talks about what we have in christ in second corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 scripture says chapter 2 and verse 14 Second Corinthians chapter two and verse fourteen, Scripture says, "Now thanks be to God who always, like I said, like we do English classes in church sometimes, and we say which word you need to stress. Now you can stress on any and get a different meaning. But today, just stress on this word, and then ask Lord, is it true in my life? It says, God always, always leads us in triumph in Christ." In Christ there is no defeat for the believer absolutely no defeat no outward circumstances can take your spiritual victory it's impossible because Christ is always victorious and God always leads us Christ was never defeated even on the cross it was an incredible victory it was never defeated on earth and scripture says in Christ God also always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place so when we come to these kind of verses we need to stop there and ask in christ there is only victory over the flesh over the world and over the powers of darkness so did israel in canaan as long as they heard from god and obeyed joshua they always won they always won It didn't matter how strong the fortified cities were or how large and powerful the enemy armies were. So it doesn't matter how strong the strongholds in our minds are or how powerful the powers of darkness are spiritually speaking, they always won as long as they obeyed spiritually speaking, we always win or can win. Okay. Are you getting? So tonight we will look at Joshua chapter 17 verses 12 to 18. This is towards the end of their campaign. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. 
And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country. Clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perisite and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Bethshean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot. But the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. And its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. May look like strange scripture. We've read it. But today let's see. How we interpret this for our times, our life, New Testament. A servant of God who has gone long ago to be with the Lord once said something like this. There are three persons sitting on your seat today. That's why your seat is a little crowded. How many people are sitting in your chair? Three people. One is the person you are now. Two is the person you could become for evil. Or three is a person you could become if you fulfill all that God wants you to be. Three people in one seat. One, who you are. One, if you allow evil to take over. Or three, if you allow God, Christ to grow to his maturity in you. We can from one become two or three. Don't ever think any one of us cannot become an instrument for evil tomorrow. Moses, David, all became instruments of evil before they surrendered and became vessels of honor. There is a man in the Old Testament who was told the evil that he would do. And he was shocked. He said, you must be kidding me. I won't ever become like that. In Second Kings chapter 8, Hazel said, why is my Lord weeping? This is Elisha talking to Hazel. He answered, because I know the evil that he will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. You will dash their children and rip open their women with child. So Hesel, what is your servant? A dog? That you should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king of Syria. When Elisha said this to Hesel, Hesel said, you must be kidding me. I'm not such a wild dog to do this kind of terrible things. Elisha is looking at Hesel and he is weeping. He is weeping. He says, I see what you will become and what you will do to my people. And he is weeping. And he, Hesel says, not possible. I am not that kind of a man. I won't become anything like that. Okay. That's why the warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 where it says, Therefore let him thinks, who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. All of us have these three possibilities. Either we remain as we are, or we propel and go down into evil, or we move towards good and become everything that God wants us to be. Today's study from Joshua chapter 17 is an example of believers who though have all the promises of God, 
the provision of God, the presence of God, never reach their full maturity in Christ. Never reach their full maturity in Christ. They're led by Joshua, Yeshua. They have the promises of God behind them. They have an experience behind them of the faithfulness of God and the power of God, everything. But they never reach their full potential. Why? Because in chapter 17, verse 12, scripture says, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. First reason, they failed to drive out the Canaanites fully. The powers of darkness outside or the sin within. So what do they do? They settle down to the status quo. God's plan for them was complete victory over the Canaanites. And God's plan for us too is complete victory over sin and Satan. That's God's plan. His plan is never short of that. In this war, there is no substitute to victory. Okay, there is no substitute to... There is an alternative to victory that is defeat, but there is no substitute. If you are not victorious, you are defeated. But there is no substitute. Compromise will ultimately lead to defeat. So what? The Canaanites are determined to dwell in that land. And you are not able to drive them out. So finally, what do you do? You will come to a level of compromise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, Scripture says 15 and verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. We have victory. But so many of us, in our progress, got stuck because we learned to live with or compromised, not realizing one day, as we read the book of Judges, these same Canaanites will one day grow stronger than the Israelites and they will subdue them. If we make peace with our flesh and say, okay, this is too much, I have struggled, I cannot, I cannot overcome them, I cannot fight them, I cannot fight this particular sin, we will make a compromise, we will make a treaty. God says, one day, it will be more stronger than you and it will subdue you. Compromise will ultimately lead to subjection. That is why I said, in this particular war with flesh, with sin, with powers of darkness, there is no compromise. There is no compromise. There is no substitute. There is an alternative. The alternative is that if you don't win, we will lose. If we don't bring our flesh under subjection, our flesh will bring us under its subjection. If we don't bring Satan under our feet, Satan will bring us under his feet or he will start guiding our feet. That is why the first promise in the Bible is that he will bite your feet, meaning he will affect your walk. He will poison you so that it starts affecting your walk but your job is to crush his head. He will always try to affect your walk so that your walk gets separated from God. And if he cannot affect your walk, and you continue to walk with God, he still will not. He will try to affect your work. Affect your work. But even there God has promised you victory. He could not affect the walk of Paul, 
So you will see even though God rescues and protects and protects and comes to the island of Malta and he is still trying to serve over there, brings his sticks, puts it in the fire, the viper comes out and clings onto his hand. And he just shakes it off into the fire. It's trying to affect his work now. Okay, we'll do another study on snakes in the Bible. Okay, because these are all given there spiritually to teach us how to deal with these things. Because if we don't bring them under subjection and we make compromise, ultimately sin will have dominion over us. And we too will end up just like Israel. A label. What is a label? God's people. But empty of God's power. Okay, so the first thing here you see is that they could not drive them out. They gave up. Because the Canaanites were determined. But that makes no difference. Sin may be determined to live in us. Our flesh may be determined to have its way. But we have promises. Always we have promises. And God's scripture is very clear. If we go by those promises, we can escape, we can partake of the divine nature of God and escape the corruption that is in the world. That is the purpose of the promise. It's not the promise in itself. When we live by those promises, the real life of God comes into our life. We become partakers of the life of Christ and we overcome the corruption that is in the world. That is step one. Okay, if that doesn't happen. Verse two. Chapter uh, 17, verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites into forced labor but did not utterly drive them out. Okay, Spiritual application. When we grow stronger, we come, we hear the word, we pray, we fast, we start applying. Now spiritually we are stronger than our flesh, than our sin. Instead of getting rid of it, we start thinking, I can put it to work for me. I am in control. There is sin. I don't have to get rid of it. Because now I am in control. I am the boss. That's how all alcoholics and addicts started. With those famous words, I can handle it. Anger. Now we talk about alcoholism and we call about about addiction, which is because it's physical and it's very real. But it didn't start as that. It ended as that. You should have got rid of it as long as you had some spiritual power. When you should have got rid of it completely. Absolutely, completely. But you didn't. But what about the spiritual things? Like anger. You could have, you had control. There was a time when you were strong. And that's the time when you should have utterly driven those things out. You didn't. You said, I can handle it. I only lose it once in a while. But now it's no longer once in a while. It's no longer once in a while. Okay, All lust is no longer once in a while. Whatever. I can handle it. Then if you look at Joshua chapter 17 and verse 16, you will see, the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. All the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Then there are those Canaanites whom we fear. Okay. There are Canaanites before whom we fail. There are Canaanites whom we favor. And then there are Canaanites whom we fear. All these things stand in our way. There are later sins which we really fear. 
and they can rule over us. Fear cripples. They need more space. Israel needs more. Ephraim, Manasseh needs more space. They need, it is space is there, but it is taken away by the enemies they fear. The problem with fear is, it can cause you to do things that are absolutely shameful. Fear. They are afraid. Why? Because they have chariots of iron. They are afraid of them. In 1 Samuel chapter 27, we will see in verses 8 to 11, the very man of God called God's own, man after God's own heart, the stuff that he will do simply because of fear. And David and his men went and raided the Jeshurites, the Girsites, and the Amalekites. Outwardly it may be looking, hey, he's fighting the enemies of Israel. But he's not. Outwardly, yes, spiritually, no. Where is he living? He's living in the Philistine land. Who is his king? Not Saul now. Akish, the king of Philistines, has become his king. And he is doing these battles. Look at the subtlety in which he fights his battles. Verse 9 onwards. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Akish. Whom did he come back to? The Philistine king. What did he do? He killed everybody. Meaning, leave no witnesses of what I have done. Kill everybody. Leave no track. No evidence behind. Delete. Delete. Okay, I went there. I did this. Now, delete. So that nobody knows what I have done. Then Akish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of Jermalites or against the southern area of the Kenites. He never told him where he actually went. So Akish had a feeling, always thought, he is fighting Israel. Okay, he's fighting Israel. But there's no witnesses. Nobody can come back and tell Akish, you know what, he is not actually fighting Israel. He is fighting actually our allies because he's killed all the witnesses. Verse 11. David would save neither man or woman alive to bring news to God, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. That is exactly our behavior when we live in the world. We are sent to the world, that's a different thing. But when we go to the world on our own and live by our flesh, whenever we come, we try to take away all those traces of everything that we did in the world, because in the church we want to look very holy. Very holy. That's exactly what he did. Why? Fear. Because of fear. Why does he do that? Verse 7. Of now the time David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Where is he actually dwelling? He's dwelling in the land of the Philistines. Okay, If you live in the world, the fear of the world will cripple you. God has said he did not give us the spirit of fear. Later he will do the same with Uriah. Once he falls with Bathsheba, he tries to seduce, he did not only seduce Bathsheba, he tries to seduce Uriah with wine. And when that doesn't work, he secretly plots Uriah's murder. All because of fear that he will be found out. And his general job becomes his willing accomplice. 
Only he and Job knows exactly what has happened. Then it is revealed and put in scripture so we know. If it was never, it would have never known that the king wrote a letter to Job. Put this man in the forefront where the battle is thick, so let him die. Nobody else knew, only Job knew and David knew. The problem is, this is the issue. The problem is when you live like that, you now are living in fear of the devil. And you have given advantage into the hands of your enemy. Advantage is in the hands of the enemy. From that time onwards, if you study scripture carefully, he will play into Joab's hands. That's one of the reasons Joab doesn't follow all his orders. He doesn't. And it will take Solomon to destroy Joab. Why? Joab, because of David's action will become a tool of the enemy. And it will take the God of peace to crush Satan under your feet. And Solomon is a man of peace. David cannot ever be strong against Job because he knows Job knows my secret. So even when he tells Job, do not harm Absalom. No one should touch Absalom. He says, forget it, kill him. He overrules the king many times. Why? Because he knows what David has done. David has done. That's how I live in fear. Because the Canaanites have iron chariots. That's why God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. Many, many, many believers, Christians will never reach their full potential because they are slaves of fear. What if everybody knows? God says, answer, make it known to God. Fearful Christians are like the apostles on resurrection day. They know the truth. They have the past experience, but they are fearful. John chapter 9, 20 and verse 19 says, Then the same day evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Do they have knowledge? Yes. Do they have power? Yes. They have experienced it all. But they are crippled by fear. All their testimony of the living Christ is worth nothing because they are shut inside by the walls of fear. And Jesus has to come through the shut doors, through the walls and say, peace. The only way you can overcome fear is by facing it. Because we know God is with us. David was faced with it and he did not go into denial but accepted responsibility unlike Saul. When David was finally faced with it, literally like no man ever in history was, finger pointing right at him, you are that man. And he will say, I am that man. He's free. He's free. He's able to defeat the Canaanite with the iron. That's the only way you will overcome fear. By acknowledging before God what you really did. And what you really are. And you're set free from fear. I know I have repeated this story many times in different messages. But it's an old classic story. And it is interesting. It's beautiful because it explains how you overcome fear. Or else you will end up serving whom you fear. The story of little Jack and Mary who went to visit their grandmother in the countryside. And uh, he had a little sling. And Jack was playing with the sling. And he hit one of the ducklings. And the duckling died. So he quietly went, took the duckling and dug a hole and hid it. But Mary saw. 
Evening, it was Jack's job to do the dishes. That night, Grandma said, Jack, do your dishes. And uh, Mary's job to do the dishes. Mary whispered into his ear and said, you do the dishes or I will tell Grandma you killed a duckling. So he said, okay, I will do. So Mary said, today Jack wants to do the dishes. So Jack did the dishes. Every night during their vacation, every night Mary do the dishes, Jack does the dishes. Why? If you don't do, I will tell Grandma. Poor Jack's vacation was such a misery. Vacation is almost over. One day he couldn't handle it. He came in the morning. Grandma was sitting by the window knitting. So he came to Grandma and said, Grandma, I need to make a confession. She said, what happened? He said, Grandma, a week back I was playing with my sling and I killed one of your ducklings. And she said, I know. He said, you know? He said, yeah, I was watching by the window. I saw you kill it. You knew? He said, I knew. Okay. I'm sorry. She said, forgive and go. That day evening, Mary didn't know about the confession. That day evening, as usual, Grandma told Mary, do the dishes. And Mary told Jack, you are doing the dishes. And he said, I am not. God knows what we have done. He knows. It's not hidden from his eyes. But as long as long we do not have the courage to come out open like David, we will live in fear. We live these Canaanites over whom we have been promised victory. He had told Joshua, every place the sole of your foot treads, I give it to you. As I was with Moses, I am with you. You can overcome. They can never defeat you. They cannot defeat you. They cannot defeat you not because of our strength of our power, but because God is with us. But God has set conditions how we will know that he is with us. So fear, fear, fear. So the Canaanites we fail to drive out or the sin we fail to drive out. Persistent sins. Persistent sins. Determined to dwell in the land. Or verse 13, the sins we favor. We are partial to them. We can drive out them out if we want, but we don't. Because we, in a way, we like them. and We have learned to live with them. And we think we can handle them. Later they handle us. Then the Canaanites we fear. Because of all these, Manasseh will never really possess the promised land or we the promised life. And we end up satisfied with what we call partial possession. Forgetting the promise of obedience is complete, complete possession. Then comes the worst enemy. There is a worse enemy than these three which you find in verses 14 and 15 of Joshua 17. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are a great people? Inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country. Clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants. Since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. What's the worst enemy? These same set of people who are not able to drive out one set have compromised with another and afraid of another says we are a great people. What are we? We are a great people. Okay. The worst enemy is pride. That also absolutely false pride. I am so great, I need a bigger plot. Give me more, I am great. Okay. Pride blinds our eyes to our actual state and actual reality. 
That's why God is actually using sarcasm over there. If you are a great people, if you are a great people, great people go up, they don't go down. If you are great people, right, then go up. If you are a great people, there are more places to fight, more territory to be taken, more sins to be handled, more powers of darkness you can wrestle with. If you are a great people, then show your true greatness in overcoming. Not asking for territory. Greatness is shown in battle and in victory. It is not shown in the abundance of what you have. If you are a great people, then go up. If you truly think you are great, then you should be growing up. And not confined in this place by your enemies. Are we growing up? Are we growing spiritually? Are we having more victories and more peace? More victory automatically brings more peace. Because the enemies are the reasons why we lose our peace. The more we win spiritual battles, the more peace we have. If you really think you are great, there are other tough enemies to fight. The parasites and the giants also. You can throw in a few giants too. If you think you are really great. The reason why we are not able to grow spiritually is that even in even in spite of our very visible defeats and our boundaries are marked not by God but by Canaanites, we still consider ourselves great. When the book of Joshua begins, their boundaries are marked by whom? God. From the river Nile to Euphrates are marked your boundaries. But after a few years, our boundaries are marked by whom? The Canaanites. You don't move here, you don't cross there. And still we consider ourselves great. We prefer a reputation to reality. Because pride has paralyzed us. Deceived us. Like I said, there is at least something within quotes good about some sins. A drunkard knows he's drunk. A thief knows he's a thief. But a proud person doesn't even know it often that he is proud. And often he calls the humble proud. Remember Eliab? David's eldest brother Eliab? When poor David obeyed his father and came with bread to the battlefield on the 40th day and he was talking to the soldiers, Eliab was so furious. We don't even know why he's so angry with his brother. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride. I know your pride. Envy is eating him from inside. Why? Because you know on that day, Samuel had overlooked all of them and anointed David. Anointed David. Now David is not a proud guy at all. He's a humble guy. He's a really humble guy. He looks at all this and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dare defy the armies of the living God? And this guy is mad. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. Why was he so angry? The fact, Eliab, you need to accept that. For 39 days, this guy has been challenging you, right? You could have gone and said, I will fight. Could have said it. 
The fact is that you cannot face this giant for 40 days. That should have actually made you humble. Should have made you humble. You've been fighting this for sin for so long. And you still haven't been able to overcome it. That should actually make you humble. But instead it makes you proud. Think about it for a minute. The sins we are fighting. Whatever it is, a fleshly sin, a spiritual sin, in a mind, attitude, whatever. We've been fighting, fighting, constantly losing. Has it made us humble? Or has it made us proud? Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 18, in terms of prayer. That's the difference. The proud and the humble. It's not, I'm not looking at his prayer or his actions. The good guy and the bad guy. The good guy's prayer and the bad guy's. What I'm looking at is the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. The proud only pray to themselves. They don't pray to God. They pray to themselves. All the words they utter are for themselves. So that it sounds good in their ears and is appreciated by those who hear. It's not to God. They pray to themselves. The proud prays to himself. Overlooking all his faults. He doesn't mention any of his faults. I'm like this, I'm like this, I'm like this, I'm like, he's like that, he's like that, he's like that, he's like that. While the humble found mercy and victory. It's a pastor who said, one went home dignified while the other went home justified. Who went dignified? The Pharisee went dignified. Wow, it was a good service. I really prayed well today. I feel good about myself. He would have told his wife, should I have been there at the temple today? You should have heard me pray. Really good. He went home dignified, while the other went home justified. We cannot but be quiet about our greatness in spite of our defeats, and our lack of victory, yet in our own eyes we are great. We are great. And therefore we fall short of the grace of God. To overcome. Because we hide behind that mask of pride. We are great, therefore give us more space. Why does it matter? Because... One entire election was fought on the slogan, let's make America great. Forget America, let's make India great. It's all about India's greatness. We shoot 104 uh, satellites into space. Some of them are as small as my mobile phone, but we'll stay, we have shot so many. We are great. There's nothing, there's no problem. You see, whenever a person or a nation talks about greatness, usually it is considered with three things. One, because of wisdom. Two, because of riches. Or three, because of power. Power in anything, might in anything. Wisdom, might and power. There is nothing per se wrong in this. Nothing wrong in this. The problem is, we put our trust in these things. And we say, I am great. Why? Look at my degrees. I am great. Look at my influence. I am great. Look at my money. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, 
and 24, God says very clearly about greatness. Chapter 9 and verse 23. 9, 23. 9. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor the rich man glory in his riches. There is nothing wrong with wisdom. There is nothing wrong with might. There is nothing wrong in riches. But do not glory in it. And verse 24. But let him glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. Okay. Can we have both of them together side by side? Because that's not today's study. We will look at it another day. We have to look at it another day. Because I want to look at just as a teaser. Okay, I want to put it side by side. 23 and 24 in. Is it possible? Okay. If you are proud, any of these things, God says no. If you really want to glory, will take time, Vijay? No, okay. I am not tech savvy. Okay. My, in my instrument, it comes in the same page. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, glory in his might, the rich man glory in his riches. If you want to glory, then glory in this that he understands and knows me. How do you will know that you understand God and know him? Because this wisdom is translated as loving kindness. This might becomes the judgments of God and riches becomes righteousness. That's how you know you have understood what these things actually mean spiritually. Physically, to this world, it is wisdom, might and riches. Spiritually, we understand it is what? It is exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. That's what it means. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We don't understand what are material and what are spiritual. And we boast about material, measurable things. Because for wisdom you can take an IQ test. What about loving kindness? Can you? What about righteousness? What about the judgments of God in our life? Okay, we'll leave that aside. But it was a teaser. So Joshua is actually being sarcastic. He says, well, if you are great, go up to the mountains. Plenty. And also, a few giants also thrown in. And verse 15 of Joshua 17, 15 onwards. Shall we go back? Yeah. Joshua said, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself in the land of the Perisites. Clear a land. You're great anyway, right? Go. What do they say? In verse 16, they will say, no. The mountain country is not enough for us. It's not enough for us. It's interesting, verse 17 and 18. Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph. 
You are a great people. And you have great power. You shall not only have one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. Its furthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Let's apply it. They are saying, he says take the mountain country. Clear it to the end. They are saying that's not enough. He's saying, first take care of what I've given to you. Clear the land. You're saying the hill is not enough. But as far as I see, it's covered with trees. You haven't cut even one tree. And you're already saying it is not enough. It's a fundamental principle of victory in the Bible given in the New Testament by the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 25 and verse 29. He tells it very clearly. It is part of the judgment. For to everyone who has, more will be given. Who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Why can't God open up for so many believers with more of his knowledge? Question is, what have you done with what he gave you? I wish I had a million rupees. And what would you do with it? Uh, if I had a million rupees, I would of course give uh, one lakh to the church. <laughs> oh really? Wow. Let me tell you, how much do you have now? Thousand. How much have you given to the church? Uh, nothing. Even if you get a million, you will give nothing. You will give nothing. As simple as that. That's what God is saying. That's why it always so many of believers' dreams remain as dreams. Remains as dreams. Why? Because Jesus says in Luke 16 and verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. If you were not faithful when you were had your income was a thousand rupees, do you think you are going to be faithful when you have a million? It's not going to happen. When you were not faithful with the knowledge of what God gave you when you knew little, you think you're going to be faithful if he opens up scripture for you? Like, men of God say, it's not how much you know, it's how much you obey. Ultimately, that matters. We'll say we want better and bigger opportunities. But then better start clearing the forest, the woods. If you can't clear the land that is already given, what are you going to do with more land? If you can hardly hold the job you have now, how are you going to hold a better job? Lord, I was looking for a breakthrough, a better job. Okay, God says, what about the job now? Are you struggling there? Yes. If you are struggling here, I give you a better job which is going to be more pressure. How are you going to handle that? Young people, children also. I tell, I tell all the time. Children. Okay, I said, don't dream, be real. <coughs> Can you handle maths at class 10? No. What do you want to be? Engineer. Be practical, because before I came to this, I was a teacher. I used to ask my students, do you like biology? No. What do you want to be? Doctor. I said, why? Just a dream. You can't handle biology in class 10 and you want to start with Grace Anatomy in MBBS first year. It's just a dream. It's a dream. If you are not able to possess what has been given to you, how are you going to conquer that land? Apply that spiritually. 
apply that spiritually. Now God is with us. God is for us. But the question is, are we with him? Are we for his promises is the question. That's the issue. Somebody said it beautifully that many people who are wishing for more and better are like the dog chasing the truck. You know dogs chasing the trucks? What if he gets the truck? What will he do with it? I thought it was brilliant. Like a dog chasing the truck. He is furiously chasing the truck. What if the driver stops the truck and said, you can have it? What will you do with it? It's just a dream. That's why God says in 17 and verse 18, the mountain is thine. It's yours. The mountain country shall be yours. The thing is, cut down the woods. Cut down the Cut down the trees. Now, I love trees, you love trees, we love trees, we want more trees. But the problem with trees is that as long as the trees are not occupying the space where I need to build my home, I have no problems with trees. As long as those trees are not occupying the field where I want to grow my wheat, I have no problems with trees. But the problem is the trees occupying everything. You want to possess the land? The land is there. Plenty. You look at the, can you see the mountain after mountain after mountain? It's all yours. But you need to do one thing. You need to cut those trees. Otherwise you can't build one home there because it's full of trees. Get rid of the trees from your lives. That's exactly what Paul will say in the same letter twice. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 and First Corinthians, yeah. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. There are a lot of things in our life. There is no law against it. But are they really helping you? No, they are not helping you. They are cluttering your life. They are like those those woods in the mountain which has been given to them as the inheritance. We are supposed to build houses and plant. But it is full of trees. Is there anything, any law against trees in the Bible? No. But you want to build something there, you need to cut the trees. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He will repeat this again in chapter 10 and verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. And all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. People constantly complain. What is that? I don't have enough time. So what should God do? Make day 25 hours from tomorrow? Is he going to do that? No. He says on the opposite. When the end comes, he says he will shorten the days. He didn't say he will extend the days. There is no. Only for Joshua once in history, he people say I don't have enough money. People say I do not have enough opportunities. Really? Maybe we need to chop some trees in your life. Get rid of the clutter. Then you will see 24 hours is more than enough. Every man, woman in the world or in the kingdom who became great used the same 24 hours to become great or become successful. Only thing, they knew this. All things are not helpful. Sleeping 8 hours a day, there is no rule against it. It is not helpful. 
sitting and talking for three hours a day. There's no law against this. God has not said, thou shalt not talk. It is not helpful. Sitting and watching TV for hours together, even if it's a Christian program, is not going to help you unless you get up and practice what you heard. All things are lawful, but they are not helpful. There's a lot of trees in the space which God has given us to occupy. And God says, those woods are blocking your view. You need to cut it down. Why do we? Because we are, we don't prioritize our time. First thing is time. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Everything that we will achieve in this life is connected with time. With the time God has given everybody. I still remember reading about a university professor who brought one glass with sand, another glass with water, and another glass with three big stones. And he looked at them and said, can you put all these three into one glass? And they said, it's not possible. He said, it is possible. He took a glass, put the three big stones in first. Then he put the sand shook it until it was full. Then he poured the water and the water filled. He says, prioritize first what is first in your life. Then you will see there is enough time for everything. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There is time for all other things. It's time. But learn to prioritize. All things are lawful for me. He says, all things are not helpful. We need to cut away things from our life. That's why he says, if you look at the two things he says in the previous one, here he says all things, okay, I will not be brought under the power of any. Second thing he says, it does not edify, build me up. One, I will not allow a lawful thing to control me. Sleep is lawful. God ordained we should sleep. But a point can come in your life. Now sleep controls you. You don't control sleep. That's why we read about Wesley and all in their 80s. If you slept for 15 minutes or something, overslept, they were, they were upset in that age. They said, we wasted, took out 15 minutes out of our life. We wasted it because that time should have been spent for something profitable. Profitable. Okay. There are no laws. I will not be brought under the power of any. The Lord allow lawful things to make me, because there is, there is this subtlety of falling in love with lawful things and allowing them to have control over us. Even prayer. Is prayer good? Absolutely good. Is it wonderful? Yes. But you can actually start loving to hear yourself pray so much that now you don't do other things which you're supposed to do. And you give yourself a title. I'm a prayer warrior. You can get so obsessed with the studying of the word of God that you forget to apply it and to give it out. You have become what? Just an armchair scholar. Is it a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. But now what has happened? That has taken power over you. Power over you. Like I said, the purpose of everything is that it becomes a blessing to others. There's a purpose God blesses us. 
He didn't just say springs of living water shall well within you. He says rivers of living water shall flow from you. That is how you look at it. Yes, I have received. But like we say in the world, you'll count your riches by how much you have. In the king, in the kingdom, you count your prosperity by how much you have given out, not by how much you have kept. That's the difference. That's the difference. Okay. I can write volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and have published and keep it in a library and nobody reads. But I can say I'm very wise. Or you can give it out and 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 keep on receiving new inflow. Same thing with money. Same thing with everything else in the kingdom. Once we do that, remove those woods. Out of the way, we can also realize that chariots of the Canaanites with iron is not a problem. I can defeat that too. I can defeat that too. <clears throat> then we can say like David said, is there not a cause? I will fight this giant. Because there is no pride. I can fight this fellow. How can you fight this fellow what the army is not able to do? When the, your eldest brother, who is probably probably double your size, can't fight him. And the king cannot fight him. How can you fight? Because there is nothing blocking my eyes. I know the promise of God. I know what God has told. And I believe God is there for us. That he will fight this battle. And we will be victorious. The, the opposition does not matter. The opposition doesn't matter. Or you can say like what Caleb said in Joshua chapter 14, verse 16 to 13. And the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Zephunah the Kenesite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back a word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, this 45 years. How old is he? 85 years old. So I'm 85 years old. He's probably the oldest in that company. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Here I am, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. What does it mean? I'm not going out to die. I'm going out to win. And persist. I'll go out and I will come back. Some people go out to die. He says, no, I'm going, not going out to die. I'm coming out to win and come back. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. He says, I will possess the mountain. Here, one entire tribe is saying, no, the mountain is wooded, chariots. Are. He says, give me the mountain. Give me the mountain. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. These people don't even talk about the mountain and Anakim. Anakim means giants. They cannot possess a mountain where there are ordinary people. He says, I will possess a mountain where there are giants. 
and the cities that are great and fortified, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He said, I will fight. Buddha must samansana. Taakat abhi bhi hai. I will fight and I will win. And Joshua blessed him and gave what? Hebron. A deeper fellowship with God. That's the onward walk. Hebron means a place of fellowship. God says you have to fight these battles. You don't make, say this sin is too much. This is too much of a struggle. You don't make compromise. Once you know something is wrong, and you know very clearly, maybe it's your short temper, your loose tongue, whatever, you know it is wrong. There's no compromise with it. You have to fight it, otherwise it will kill you one day. It will kill you one day. Otherwise you will end up like Cain, a wanderer all his life. It's a loose tongue. Where is your brother? I'm my brother's keeper. I'm my brother's keeper. God is saying, your brother is lying over dead. His blood is crying out and he was asking me, I'm my brother's keeper. You couldn't control your anger. Now you can't even control your tongue. Response. And he says, this is what you will be. You will be a wanderer all the days of your life. You can work. You can work. You can work. Your ground will bring you nothing. It will yield you nothing. Why? Because you have cursed yourself. You are not willing to take responsibility. And these are things which the Bible talks about. We fight Amalek. We fight the Canaanites because that's given to us. That is the land. But how you fight them are different ways. Okay. We put our trust in God. God is for us. God is with us. But the question is never that. Am I with God? And everything is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. It is in Christ. God is moving us. Moving the whole world. He's allowing things to change around the world. We are getting into Spiritually speaking, tougher and tougher times. The question we ask is that, if it gets any more tougher than this, do I have the strength to survive? Survive spiritually, not physically. Will I survive? Will I come out victorious? The question is, I look at our lives and say, if I'm struggling with this now, how am I going to handle if something bigger comes? Bigger comes. So we ask ourselves, is it the Canaanite? whom I forgot to drive out, the Canaanite, whom I thought I can handle and make him work for me, or the Canaanite, whom I am afraid of, or above all, I am actually defeated, but I am still walking in pride. Outwardly, you should look at people, you know, and it's such a, what do you call it? It's stunning if you see people, and the way they walk, the way they talk, and then when, they come and talk to you their problems and how embedded they are in defeat. And look at them. And why do you don't face that reality? Why don't you face that reality? How are you going to ever overcome if you put this pretense? It's not going to change. You know, it does. It's it, 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 it's what matters is not the quantum of your fall. It's the depth of your humility. Depth of your humility. David was willing. He was willing to acknowledge and God pulled him up and put him back on the pedestal and said, you are my man and you will be a testimony for ages. But Saul could never be restored. And so many Christians can never be restored because they want, not never, they don't want to be restored because they prefer a false reputation. 
than to being honest with God. You just need to be honest. In most cases, you just need to be honest with God and say, Lord, the buck stops with me. That's it. Even if you are not at fault. Even, technically, even if you are not at fault fully, still if you have responsibility, it stops at you. And you are free. You are free. God sets you free. And you are able to possess more and more land, spiritual territory. That's the key. The more spiritual territory you possess, the more useful vessel you become in God's hands. That is the key. Because God is looking for vessels in these last days whom he can use. You know, like we say in the book of Timothy, vessels of glory, honor, and vessels of dishonor. He wants vessels of honor. And scripture says, if a man cleanses himself, that's what we're looking at. Spiritual application. If a man or a woman cleanses himself or herself of all these Canaanite forces, the victory Christ has promised us. What he has said, he leads us in victory. Leads us in victory. When he leads us in victory, we are an aroma of life. To those who are being saved. Aroma of death to those who are perishing. When Israel came in to Rehab and her family, they smelled like life. But to the rest of the Canaanite, they smelled like death. So it doesn't matter what the world says. Depends upon how they smell us. If they say, wow, you are so good, I want to be like you. When we have compromised, then a warning bell should go in our heads. Okay. Warning bell should go in our heads. People don't, people don't, because like today is March the 1st in India. What has begun? Lent has begun. It will be all, I mean, I'm not. We are all part of it once. All very religious. They will take off drinks. They won't drink for 40 days. They won't smoke. They won't do all. A lot of things people will do. So you can do it, right? Then on the 41st day, why do you go back to it? That's my question. Why do you go back to it? Why do you go back to it? Is my question. If you can handle it for 40 days, that means you know you can overcome. Then why do you for the rest 11 months cry out, Lord, deliver me? I want this, I want that, I want more spiritual victory, I want more. God says, you see, this is your problem. You have made peace with the Canaanites and you think I can make them put to serve. Okay. And how does the world celebrate, the Christian world celebrate is on 28th. What is it called in the world? Mardi Gras. The two accidents back to back in two places. No? People out of their mind, alcoholic, crashed into the crowd, so many injured, some so many injured very badly. But these are not done by worldly people. These are done by religious people. Lent is beginning tomorrow, so I'm going to indulge in the flesh to the fill tonight, and tomorrow I will start Lent. That's what Mardi Gras is. And that is the sad part of it. Sad part of it. And that's what God is talking about. You can possess. I told you, this land is the fullness of Christ for us. He says, Overcome, step by step, fight it, take more and more and more and more territory. No status quo, no compromise. If you compromise, it is defeat. Today you will think, I can handle it, I will make it to work for me. But a day will come, it will make you work for it. And that's after Joshua comes the book of Judges. And who ruled them? The enemies ruled them. Okay, because they did not possess the land. Shall we pray?
Father, this evening we just come to you. We come to you, Father, because it's a history being repeated over and over and over in the lives of people, churches, nations. Nations which were once spiritually strong and pillars and lighthouses have now gone and crumbled. And the enemies have possessed their land. The light is flickering in so many nations, so many lives. They are a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God who wants to deliver and to restore. And I pray during this season, the next 40 days, where the Christian world, the visible Christian world, goes into a time of fasting and soul searching, I pray, Father, it will bring lasting change in lives and in homes and in churches. Even us. Though we don't keep Lent, I pray, Lord, we will take that spirit of Lent in our lives to search our own hearts, to judge those areas where we have given up fighting sin, where we have compromised or we think we are self-confident that we can handle those things or we are afraid of the Canaanite. And we do worse things. And above all, in our defeat, we walk proudly as if we are victorious. And we demand more and more space from you. Help us to see our own faces in the mirror of thy word. As we are. So that you can restore us. Cleanse us. Fill us. And use us even more. This third month. Help us not to live. And bear sustenance in the kingdom of God. Because your word says. We have been blessed. With every spiritual blessing. In Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Go before us through this month, Lord, and keep us close to you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.